0: machines and biotechnic earth babies out there listening in the rabbit holes of space and time welcome to the barbarian noetics podcast where we stay dedicated to the elevation of the human spirits and as always to resisting this status quo i am your loyal host little raven You so much for joining. I love each and every one of my listeners. Don't take any of you for granted. Y'all are the best. This is a different episode this week. It's going to be a slightly abridged episode because the BMP is going to Guatemala, baby. BMP going to Guatemala City, oh. And I'm leaving here in a couple of days, and I'm going to be gone for a week. And so I did just want to put something out on the feed um, because it's going to be a couple of weeks before I can do a proper episode. Um, So the BMP is going to Guatemala City. I'm going to have my phone, so I'm going to have my voice memo. I'm going to be with my best friend, uh, the uh, god king of Portland, Peppermills. He's been a a repeat guest on the show. We're meeting up. We're going to go check out some ruins. We're going to go check out some lakes, some volcanoes, maybe get some black sand, maybe even get a little body surfing in. We'll see how it goes. But yeah, I'm just, I mean, you guys know how excited I am. I've been talking about wanting to, I want to straight up live in Central America So this is kind of like expat recon, and I know my best friend is on the same page, but I mean, I've been manifesting this opportunity to visit, stars aligned, I had a wild story with my passport, I thought I wasn't gonna come in time and then amazingly it was like this test of my faith because my passport application got lost in the mail even though i paid for certified mail it just like froze in the middle of the thing and i had no idea what was happening and then i had uh gotten off just gotten off the phone with my best friend where he i was saying like you know i would love to join you but I don't know what's going on with my passport, and he said he's like, you know, I have a feeling this is gonna work out for whatever that's worth. I hang up the phone up with him straight up. I turn around, it's the male person coming up to me with an envelope. Like I felt like friggin' Neo from The Matrix. (laughs) Male person walks up to me with a single envelope. That envelope is my passport. It came half, yeah, half a week earlier than. It said could have possibly been the earliest thing. Anyway, stars have aligned, and I'm gonna be probably recording some segments down there. I imagine, although I'm not gonna be putting pressure on myself, but I imagine one week with my best friend in Guatemala, we're gonna be recording some segments. So um, I will be kind of bringing the experience of the trip to you all um, as well. But I, w- I just wanted to put something out, just kind of check in, let you all know that we're going to Guatemala City, and. Um, just put something out on the feed. So before, uh, so this episode is going to be a little different. I'm going to be including some uh, recent Yak Fest, some audio from the recent Yak Fest with fan favorite The Inimitable Dr. Sylvie. But before I tell you about the Yak Fest I, I include, I wanted to just kind of reflect on something. So I've been binging audiobooks of this author Robert Green and really like it, it just enjoying it so much because He actually got good narrators so that's the thing is like a really good book can be ruined if there's not a good narrator but the narrators are good and his you know I don't agree with everything he says and um, you know his book the 48 laws of power it's like an amoral book so it's very much like Machiavellian and stuff so it's really fascinating but I'm not like just taking everything whole cloth but it's really good to see like oh right these people and institutions that are kind of sociopathic and do just do everything strategically for power, oh shit, I recognize that tactic, I recognize that tactic, and it just makes you, it fleshes out my understanding of the world because I I don't just sit around and strategize for that type of power, although I do want power because I want the power to affect change, I want the power to leave a positive legacy, I want the power to leave this world a little bit better than how I found it. So anyways... I'm on my fourth book now by Robert Green and it's called Mastery and there's the story of these two Zen masters and he's talking about the importance of like the mentor-apprentice dynamic. So one of the masters is the master master <laughs> and then the other one is an apprentice master and it's at a point in like the history of Zen where um, some of like the, the freer kind of richly textured thinkers, the more lithe Zen philosophers, were feeling like there was a stagnancy that was coming over Zen. And so part of it was people being too attached to their ideas. So the Zen master kind of like surprises the apprentice out of the blue by twisting his nose and kind of like shoving his head back and being like, you've got it all figured out now, don't you? Huh? Don't you? And he does it intentionally like harsh and sudden. And the student's like, whoa, dude, that was like... Where the fuck did that come from? But also being a Zen practitioner himself, the student was like, okay, what is my teacher trying to tell me? Anyway, long story short, the student becomes enlightened and after the student becomes or reaches like some sort of, the whole thing about becoming enlightened is that it's not permanent. It is a state of flux. It is an experience. It's not like you achieve enlightenment and then that's game over. It's like life is a constantly unfolding Re- realization of enlightenment. It's a, it's a flower just forever unfurling is kind of how I see it. So uh, the master says to the apprentice, after the apprentice has his epiphany, he says to him, the problem with all students is that they are inevitably is that they inevitably stop somewhere. They hear an idea and they hold on to it until it becomes dead. They want to flatter themselves that they know the truth. But true Zen never stops, never congeals into such truths. That is why everyone must constantly be pushed to the abyss, starting over and feeling their utter worthlessness as a student. Without suffering suffering and doubts, the mind will come to rest on cliches and stay there until the spirit dies as well. Not even enlightenment is enough. You must continually start over and challenge yourself. And I'm just like, damn, that resonates so hardcore with me. It's what I know in my heart to be true. I've talked before about how plants will grow at their edges. They grow from their core, but they also grow at their edges. And you have to be reaching outside your comfort zone all the time to keep growing. So for me, this trip is very much me like forcing myself into something that I am like nervous about. I realized that since the whole craziness with COVID and the restrictions and how everything was so like up in the air, and the rules were changing all the time, and I developed like a little bit of a fear of traveling. To be on, to be perfectly honest. So this is I'm I'm facing my fear. I feel very good about it. I know that I've been praying for like a nice, uh, uh, seamless trip to and from. You know, it's gonna go just the way it needs to go. I'm gonna get there fine. I'm gonna get back fine. I've got my both my parents in the spirit world. They're gonna be looking over me and watching out for me, and honestly, any of all y'all, if you want to send some good thoughts to me, I would appreciate it because I'm just a human myself. And um, it's, it is, there's a certain type of fear that comes up when you push yourself outside of your comfort zone. But that's, that's like the good stuff. That's like the juice that is worth the squeeze. And so I'm just trying to stay present with it. And I'm really excited to share my experiences out there with you guys. So I'm, I'm genuinely stoked as fuck to be like, record some segments, maybe when I'm there, maybe when I get back, but I'm, I'm definitely going to incorporate it into the podcast, and I just couldn't be more elated. Uh, it's a dream come true to go to Central America. So, so yeah, so that's that. And um, for the meat and potatoes of this episode, like I said, I'm going to be including the audio of a recent Yak Fest with fan favorite The Inimitable Dr. Sylvie. We begin the yak fest with our mental health check-in, and Dr. Sylvie tells the narrowing tale of Skunk Gate, where unfortunately, poor Dr. Sylvie is still having trouble with Skunk Gate. This skunk is in heat and keeps blasting their house so viciously that they—it feels—it smells like there's a gas leak, and it's like a big problem. And so, send some good thoughts to Dr. Sylvie too. Dr. Sylvie, what's up out there? I know you guys are gonna—you're gonna overcome, but it sounds insane. So she tells the story of Skunk Gate. We then dive into the utterly insane and bizarre story around the East Palestine-Ohio train derailment and subsequent chemical spill, which I think is actually a subtle asymmetric chemical attack uh, because of the choices that the authorities made after... First off, the derailment itself was really sketchy. There's like steel bits of the train were catching on fire and shit like that, that there should be so many um safety uh checkpoints like in place to prevent that from happening so it does have to do also with the fact that uh uh, you know joe biden came into the white house and he said he was going to be the most most labor-friendly president ever was last time labor was friendlier than me we had little little 12-year-olds in the factory my grandpapa used to say to me joey there's two type of 12-year-olds there's ones that have to work in the factory and there's other ones that go to public school and learn about the pilgrims. You don't want to be the one that works in the factory, Joey. Get a job in Washington, D.C. Be a servant to power, and and you'll take care of yourself. Anyway, so, um, but I totally lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, so then the Biden administration was the one that broke the train strike, and it does it does have to do with like labor rights and stuff like that. That the train workers were saying like we can't operate like this. It's not sustainable. Um, and so then accidents do happen, but this seems like more than an accident. There seems like some sketchy shit. I think it's part of a asymmetric um, campaign against self-reliance and sustainability and the health, literally the health of the ecology, because the agenda is to usher in a brand new world and a brand new way of doing everything, including growing food. And, you know, th- this ecological disaster in East Palestine right in the heart of the Amish country and the Amish of course have been quietly and consistently and successfully showing by example how to live off the land. So that's like a very powerful example as people more and more start to think like maybe I'm way too dependent on these intricate oil based systems and maybe I should be a little bit more self-reliant and that's where the Amish come in but if you poison the environment around the Amish it's going to make it harder for them and I I hope I'm wrong about this but I just I have a I I don't have a very good feeling about it. So we talk about the connection, we talk about the decisions the authorities made after the derailment to make the situation infinitely worse. Uh, for the first 10 days, no one heard anything about the disaster and they were just allowing the vinyl chloride and the other chemicals to seep into the groundwater. There were other chemicals on the train that we don't even know what they are yet. They're still coming out, even though someone knows what they are because every there's like really uh, intricate, detailed invoices for every train shipment. Like th- There shouldn't be a question of what's on the train. That's not even a, a thing. All these different chemicals seeping in the groundwater. Then they, then they make the decision to blow up the rest of the vinyl chloride. And that creates a literal airborne toxic event. Now, at the same time that this happened, this film White Noise was released on Netflix. White Noise is literally about a train accident that results in an airborne toxic event. That's in the film White Noise. The filming was, was done in East Palestine, Ohio, and there was people who served as extras in the film white noise who then had who then went through the actual disaster in east palestine and another kind of um motif of white noise is that real life is a simulation real life or simulations are Real life can be simulations and simulations can be real life. It's like a mindfuck, it's a postmodern mindfuck. We talk about how postmodernism, there's a connection with the three-letter agencies there in terms of um, the agenda to kind of degrade the moral fiber of our society and atomize us at a psychic level. Uh, There's so much to, to... Unpack, and so we unpack it. But we talk about all kinds of other stuff too. It's a good Yak Fest, so I feel good about including it. And so definitely stay tuned to the end for that. Uh, we finish off the Yak Fest by playing a video of Elon Musk, the errand boy for DARPA and the DoD, the Neuralink guy, the Starlink guy, the spy satellite guy, and uh, it's a, just a video of comparing him with Klaus Schwab, and you see how closely they're actually aligned. And I just think it's very important that people not get suckered in to the the Emperor Elonicus worship and see that this guy is uh, not a beneficent actor and he's not saving free speech uh, and don't get played by that particular psychological operation. So with that, everybody, we're going to go ahead and sign off. I'm going to we're going to get into the episode. Uh, I love and appreciate all of you. Like I said, my next episode will probably be two or three weeks down the road after I get back from Guatemala And I'll be incorporating my experiences there into the episode. So I can't wait to share all that with you guys. I love and appreciate all of you. I do need your help to stay on the air, friends. So if you derive some value from the free shows I put out, uh, please consider becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash noetics. You can sign up at different tiers. You get bonus content and you get that unlimited uh, puppy dog and dragonfly karma and if you don't like dragonflies you just leave it puppy dogs if you're allergic to puppy dog hair it's got it's a hypoallergenic puppy dog karma so really nothing can it's one of the best decisions you'd ever make really honestly becoming a patron patreon.com slash noetics you can make a one-time donation at buymeacoffee.com slash noetics and of course the very most important thing you can do is to spread the word and tell a friend about the bmp expand our tribe of philosopher barbarians let's open up our world uh open up our minds and connect with one another across the different bullshit divides and the wedge issues and stuff like that i'm trying to deconstruct all of that so we can come together as the people and realize our power which is immense okay everybody that's it and that's that i love you all and i will talk to you at the end and then i will talk to you when i get back in Guatemala. all right peace out everybody Shitta down, puttas, making a meme, make a no capa zink Sit down, puttas, making a meme, no no Put him, uh, put
1: him. I'm
0: What's up everybody, we're cooking with gas now. We got Dr. Sylvie Salinger in the house, the inimitable master researcher. Overall badass, she is in the building. It has been a hot minute since we've done a Yak Fest, folks, so we're super happy to be here. And wow, do we have a lot to talk about today. A little something, something, a little something involving a train in the great state of Ohio is going to be uh, directing a lot of our attention today, as I'm sure listeners are following that story closely because holy fuck, it's fucked. But before we jump into the heavy stuff, it has been a minute since we've done a yak fest, so we want to do a mental health check-in with everybody. And uh, so, Dr. Sylvia, I'll let you start. Just catch us up on what you've been up to, what what life has thrown at you these last few weeks, and what you're doing to take care of yourself.
2: Thanks, little Raven. Um, oh. there's been so much going on, but I just want to highlight two things. Which is, I was completely shocked that I got COVID again. So. Um, I guess I shouldn't be that shocked, but I thought that the natural immunity was more robust, but they have shown that it lasts about 11 months. Apparently, if we're going to go with the studies, it apparently lasts 11 months. So I had it last January and I had it pretty bad last January. Now I had it again this time and it wasn't like, it wasn't like crazy. Like it was the first time it was it was like the equivalent of strep throat, but like how many people have strep throat, you know, in their thirties, probably like not that many. It's not that common. It's common to have it when you're a kid
0: in Phoenix, so, it was going around a lot of adults getting strep Oh,
2: really? Okay. Yeah. So it was, kind. It, it felt like strep throat, but I did, I did test positive for SARS-CoV-2 and I've had other things. So I do think that there was spike protein or I think that it definitely, the first day of it was bad though, because I had like a mini, I had the chills. I had just, it was basically like a truncated, milder version of the fur of Omicron. Cause I did have Omicron. And so it was like, I had like some chills and I had a fever, but that was only one day. But then I had this horrible, horrible head cold strep throat thing. So it was all in my throat and sinuses. And that lasted for like, it took me, like, a week to get over it, which I always, like, think of myself as, like, oh, I've got this great immune system, but I did take NAC, like, N-A-C when I uh, was when I had it, and then I did take an antibiotic, actually, which I don't know if that helped me get over it better or not, but anyway, um, it wasn't, like it was definitely not something I would shut down society for, but it also wasn't something that was nothing. So like it did knock me on my butt. And like, I, I like I didn't go to work, you know, for one day. Um, You're and- saying
0: we shouldn't start redefining words and doing global pandemic, international health regulations and superseding the sovereignty of nation states for this. I mean, it is one day of feeling shitty. I think we should pretty much rearrange all of society and definitely throw out all of our civil liberties.
2: Exactly. That makes seems, really sense. So, yeah, seems fair. Like, I do feel like if it was an older person, they would be knocked out for like maybe like two weeks. And definitely people were hospitalized from this virus, but it's definitely nothing you would change society for. Well, especially
0: but, when the interventions that they're pushing on the elderly people are actually making it worse yeah. a lot of the time. Like that's not great.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. So it's it's just odd because of how we – this is – and so then – my partner, he, um, he tested positive and then he was waiting for symptoms and he actually was supposed to see his mom and travel out East to see his mom. And he had to cancel that trip because he tested positive and he didn't want to give it to his mom and brother inadvertently because his mom's not in wonderful health. So, um, but he was waiting for symptoms and he basically only had a sore throat in the mornings upon waking and then had to gargle with salt water and then that's it. And so he Damn. didn't even have anything really that he was waiting for it and stuff, but he didn't get much. So that was really good for him. Um, I don't know why. Anyway, I guess I, f- I feel like I'm just think I'm like superhuman, but normally pre 2020, I would get like one to two sicknesses a year like you know, like one bad cold, either once a year or twice a year. So I'm not really, don't really get sick that often, but, and I haven't had a flu vaccine since I was forced to get one in high school. So it's been a minute, it's been a long time since I've had a flu vaccine. And I haven't had the flu since I was a sophomore in college. So that's been a while too. So I feel good about that, about not getting the flu vaccine. I feel like that, I can't believe how many people that are like healthy and young, are like convinced to get the flu vaccine. Um, Especially when we know that when they've done military uh, studies on it, that it, it actually made you more susceptible to respiratory infection.
0: Yeah, well, the flu vaccine, as far as I can tell, and I've had doctors explain it to me is like an educated guess that they're like, yeah, we're pretty sure it's going to be this variation. And so we're going to make the jab for this variation. And then sometimes there's multiple strains circulating at the same time, and you're protected against one, but not against the other. There's antibody dependent enhancement, which is a real thing. I mean, I've had multiple people in my life get the, jab, the flu jab and then get sicker tell, tell me that they're like, oh, I've never been so sick before. And I'm thinking, well, that's antibody dependent enhancement for sure. Um, I mean, the way I, th- I see it is with the immune system, it's like muscles and you need to like work out your muscles or else they start to atrophy in our innate immune system. That's like our first line of defense. When you get sick, like how you got sick. That means that it was a, something was able to bypass your innate immune system, but now your innate immune system is super beefed up. Now, your mucosal right. membranes, you got antibodies parading all the time, like right. friggin' Black Panther status in Philadelphia, just like looking out, like, are there any cops? Are there any antigens? We're here to fucking crush. And then you're also, your uh, adaptive immune system is beefed up also. And now you have the specific. Me- the, the means to produce the specific antigens for whatever strain, very vari- variable. What's the t- what's the term? What do they call variants? Variants for whatever variants. Now y- you got that one too, and then your immune system will now continue to evolve, mm-hmm. even after you vanquish that variant. Your immune system is going to continue to evolve. So. Yeah i am glad you didn't get super duper sick and now just see it as like a positive that since you've been doing everything naturally this is now all kind of um you have this ability now within your body and it was like homegrown so that's at least a little silver lining
2: yeah no it's definitely it definitely like i'm glad that it wasn't like super sick and it was just like so i guess so the interesting thing that my partner and i were talking about was basically just like how people treat it when you tell them that you tested positive for COVID. Still in 2023, people are like, I had a friend and I had already recovered. I'd already been 10 days out and they were like, well, let's just be safe and cancel meeting for coffee and do it like a week from now. You know And I I mean, I was trying to be like sensitive because I just like wanted to let her know and stuff. And so I'm like, I kind of go along with like other people that I'm not super close with. It's like a friend that's I'm not super close with and I just kind of like, you know, I'll just accept whatever boundaries they have or whatever, but it's it's just interesting how people treat it. Like if this was I've traveled sick on planes, which I don't think is a great idea, but if this was if this had been like 20 2019 and I had this sickness, I I would have stayed home from work because that's normal to stay home from work for like one day or whatever if you're sick. Yeah. And I would have you know, probably not gone on any trips, but Gabe, for example, oops, I just said his name. <laughs> um, He would have like, he wouldn't have gone on his trip. So, I mean, he would have gone on his trip because he would have been like, I'm not sick because he was asymptomatic. Right. So he would have gone on the trip and no one would have known anything. And no one would have known that he was carrying this virus asymptomatic. Right. Because people carry viruses all the time asymptomatically, right? Right. So that's the crazy thing is like how we treat it. And like when I tell people I had COVID, they'd be like, Oh no, are you going to get Paxlovid? And like, Oh no, are you okay? Do you need me to bring you anything? Like, do you need like, me to
0: bring you some Paxlovid and maybe some lipid nanoparticles too? We could just...
2: <laughs> just. I don't. So it's just crazy how people treat it still in 2023. Like, because of the fear porn, everyone treats it as if it's not just another. It is a coronavirus. Like there are coronaviruses throughout all of history that are always circulating around us that are always infecting other people. We just don't test for each coronavirus one, coronavirus two and coronavirus three and coronavirus four. Right. it's like, because this coronavirus has been fear porn so much, now we're just like, oh no, are you going to be okay? Like,
0: I know. It's, it's astounding. Just- like back, yeah, it, like even back when the, like the flu has always been pretty gnarly and there's always like lots of people dying from the flu all the time. But it was like before when you used to say like, oh, I have a bad flu, people would be like, oh, that sucks. The flu it feels like you've been hit by a train. Am I right? Now it's like you say you have COVID and you're right. It's like, oh my goodness. Like, Oh do you need do you need this do you need that you need some j and j i got the j and j right here i was like whoa dude it's so crazy how much yeah it's just
2: weird and then people cancel things and then people are scared to be around you but like with the flu like how i guess like i'm i'm like very reticent to be around people who are like have the stomach flu because that's super contagious but like if someone just had a cold, I would be like, eh, I'll meet you still outside for coffee. Like, I wouldn't care, you know? Like, yeah, just like,
0: don't, like, cough in my face.
2: Yeah, we'll like, be, we'll I, be good. I don't know, it's just, so it's just weird because everyone's still treating it so strangely, and... Really
0: quick, Dr. Sylvie, what do you think about the theory that viruses don't actually exist and that like they've ter- all
1: been... Well,
0: kind of terrain, but what I'm starting to think about more is the possibility that all virus viruses have actually been creations, they're all lab made, and that the, the virus hunters are just like cooking up these synthetic, what we what we call viruses, but they're actually like synthetic viruses, like exosomes that get you sick, or like little portions of RNA that get you sick.
2: So when we, so like when we say we've observed the virus come from a certain like primate community, that that was just a cover, and it was really planted with primate community for example or within the bird community bird flu or something
0: yeah or like it was made in a lab and then it was like transported from country to country because all these things get transported through diplomatic immunity so there's like no oversight whatsoever just constantly bringing vials of pathogens from one country to another and it actually slipped out or it was introduced into the human community and then blamed on primates or blamed on pangolins or whatever i don't know
2: testing it on primates and then some, yeah, I, I could see that a lot of them would be that, but I don't think you can explain that for all of them. Like, I think there are like natural mutations in our environment. Like there's natural mutations in, in like evolution, like microevolution, right? Like, um, like I think that it makes sense that in biologically speaking that like, you know, just as there are biological, there are genetic mutations in our body, that occur, I think there also would be mutations with these viruses and like viruses evolving and mutating. I think, um, especially like before we had, you know, modern chemistry and experimentation, like how did the, you know, the black plague arise, for example, in, in the, um, the middle, the middle ages. So I think that, I think that that's not true that they're not all man-made, but maybe, but I definitely think SARS-CoV-2 is man-made or it's like a, a, you know, a virus. And I that think
0: was- Ebola and HIV are man-made too. I,
2: sorry, could I mean, I could definitely, I could definitely buy that. Like Marburg bird flu, all the, all these, I could see them. I could see a ton of them being man-made. I don't think all are man-made. Like the first virus ever was man-made. No, not necessarily. No, I don't think so. But yeah, like, yeah. but um just because of like the role of mutations and.
0: And also how we have like eight percent, apparently 8% of our DNA is viral. It's a virome. So that would also kind of, if if in fact that's the case, then that would imp- mean that. Sylvia, you're, you're putting too much nuance into this conversation. I want black or white, feast or famine, either viruses exist or they don't. I think you're right. I think a lot of times it's part, part of, a little bit of part A and a little bit of part B and a little bit of part C. I think that we have a tendency as humans to want to like simplify everything, make right. things like one way or another. But I, I I, agree with you. I think it's usually a little bit of both. And I, I do think that probably viruses do exist in nature. But I also think that they're being weaponized like fucking crazy yeah. and that they're like cash cows, too.
2: I mean, Ukraine biolabs, too. That's like everyone's fixated on Wuhan, even though. I mean, everyone who's questioning things, I think, is fixated on Wuhan, like the mainstream culture is not fixated on Wuhan, but like Wuhan and the, you know, collaboration with Eco Health Alliance and all that stuff that is like really obvious now. But like people aren't talking about like the Ukraine bio labs or bio labs throughout the United States or just bio weapons, anything that can be happening at any time and how really people are not adhering to the, you know to the the different I forgot that like it's not treatsy it's uh
0: yeah the, like the um the uh convention like the bio conventions yeah so no for sure that, yeah people don't to talk, to talk about
2: those and I think I really don't hope I mean there's been so much pushback that like I don't think to I like knock on wood but I or, <laughs> knock on drywall
0: but
2: But, like i really hope that nothing else major they don't try to like shut down society for another virus anytime soon because honestly people are so upset like the average person does not buy this stuff i i really it's 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 an it's like an upper middle class white people issue now like black people do not want any vaccines forced on them. They do not want to be forced to do anything um, like the black community and same with the Latino Latina community. They don't want this either. And so it's really like the people who are like keeping this going. Like, I mean, I live in an area with a lot of white people and uh, I went to uh, a local grocery store just two days ago and Everyone in the lines checking out around us. Yeah, they were all over 50, but they were all wearing N95 still. Okay. This was two days ago. Everyone around us was wearing an N95.
0: Damn. Yeah. The mass formation is real.
2: Real. So it's it's the, it's the upper middle class white people, the formally educated class that yeah. is still wearing these masks and still keeping this going, usually in like more northern states, I would say. And it's just like, I don't, it's just like, and then people are saying, well, even if COVID isn't a big concern now, and it's like a less virulent, you know, strain, I still want to wear it because of flu and all these other viruses. So I don't know. And people believe in masks still in this area. So I just, I just don't get it. But it's definitely like, like any of the of the working class small business owners they think it's complete bs and like so what i'm saying i guess is that okay the upper middle class white people like are allowed but they make up a small proportion of the u.s population therefore if they tried to unleash something again and like there's been so much growing like pushback against this and there was even pushback too at the time like i remember in the community we were living in Um, a bar sued the Department of Public Health in the community we were living in last year because the bar was like, we want to be able to serve customers. It should be at your own risk. And the Department of Public Health shut them down. And like, they they took them to court and the Department of Public Health won because the judge, like, like, I don't know why the judge, but- Probably
0: corruption and kickbacks and all kinds of stuff. Yeah,
2: so um, there's just, so basically, I guess what I'm saying is if they unleashed another, you know virus or whatever no attack and tried to convince people to shut down society and shut down their businesses i think that there would be a literal civil war like a a civil uprising for sure. like there already was there already were civil uprisings but this would be like i mean especially with inflation the economy being in the shitter people are on their last like leg right now and they would be i think people would be in the streets like this would not this would and not
0: also even in like the kind of
2: kill me motherfucker like <laughs> iris fucking like just kill me like, they probably feel like go out in the streets and be like i don't want to yeah. live this way. like i don't know i could just i can see it in my mind
0: especially since like even the upper middle class community is kind of divided along it for some reason political lines even though it pisses me off that this is beyond a political issue but like the patriot kind of more conservative upper middle class portion of society is very much they're all watching russell brand and jimmy dore now and like they're like hardcore like on it with the psyops and all that kind of shit and the government corruption so in yeah, a way that's positive so, yeah, i, I wish so it wasn't really political
2: It's just like, it's become so bifurcated and annoying. And I wish more people who were like mainstream Democrats or whatever that means, mainstream liberals, were more questioning of it, but slowly it's emerging. The truth is slowly emerging like it always does. So the Atlantic is now saying, oh, masking kids was a mistake. And the Atlantic is now saying actually, oh, there's a large scale like mask, you know, study and it's showing that mass didn't really work so oh and like they're slowly bringing these questions up and then i'll show you an article in a sec but it now now the study says oh yeah national natural immunity and stuff so slowly everything that we were told was you know
0: which is com- exactly in the spars pandemic simulation that's right. exactly it's playing out like creepily similar to the spars simulation no, so we now didn't. we're in the part of like the retrospection period where it's like oh yeah and, and like in the simulation they're like yeah there's going to be a lot of vaccine injuries we're going to have to deal with some lawsuits and stuff like that too and we're in the in the simulation they're like yeah we'll, we'll give money to a few people we'll make some statements and then that should assuage the rest I and mean, it should discourage others from filing lawsuits for vaccine injuries this is all this is what they're telling us people this is not dr sylvie and i just ranting in a corner i am in the corner of my my apartment and I am ranting, but also they are just telling us this shit. If you read the white papers, it's infuriating, and that's yeah. I, I keep returning.
2: really easy to find. You just like like internet search. Yeah. I'm trying not to say Google because that's so like reifying Google. So every yeah. time I say like to search something, I just say internet search X Y or Z. So internet search spars pandemic PDF, and you'll find it. It's like. It's public like you know it's open access, it's not a hidden document.
0: Yeah. Sylvie, we got eight minutes left. I really want you to tell listeners about the skunk incident. Sylvie Sylvie's been dealing with skunk gate.
2: Ooh, <laughs> yeah, the skunks. So okay, so like we've had issues with skunks in the past in this new house that we moved into and um the skunks like to go under our front stoop. And so anyway, it was the middle of the night and my cat was crawling on my stomach and woke me up, and I was like, "Why wow. is she waking me up in the middle of the night?" And then all of a sudden, I smelled burnt popcorn, and I said, "Okay, am I going crazy? Because we literally <laughs> just watched white noise." Oh shit! Going <laughs> we to bed, and like, oh. thought like I was like. Is something like, am I just losing it? Because you know, it's the you know when you wake up, on, like REM sleep, it's like the middle of the night, and if you have like a weird thought or weird dream, sometimes it's like you still feel in that dream. So I was like, maybe I'm like losing it, and I like was smelling this in my dream, but it's not real. I don't know. Yeah. So then I woke up my partner, and I was like, hey, uh, are you smelling this? And he was like, this smells bad. So we thought it was <laughs> a gas leak or an electrical fire. That's because, scary. You know, stuff googling internet searching all this stuff yeah so like went and looked at all like the hvac system went into the crawl space went all these places made sure like the gas wasn't on leaking anywhere where there wasn't a fire there wasn't smoke anywhere and we couldn't figure it out so then i texted one of my cousins who used to live in the area and they said that i should call the non-emergency fire department and i was like okay that's a good idea because they don't come in like with the sirens and like wake up all your neighbors. Cause I think that would be like rude. So they came and they walk in and they they came with a full fire truck at like 5.30 AM. And like, we hadn't gone to bed till like three. So we'd had like two hours of sleep at this point, but anyway, and they like walked in, they had their fire, you know, uniforms on and they were like, oh, it's a skunk. Yep. Yep. This is, the skunk is sprayed all around. Our fire department smells like this. And we've had a bunch of neighbors call. This is a skunk issue. And I was like, what? Because <laughs> the skunks that I've always smelled always smelled like some like, you know, like weed, like old weed. And so.
0: Yeah, but that was before Bill Gates started uh, putting mosquito RNA material in mosquitoes. And then the mosquitoes bite the skunks and it's to make the skunks not smell. So it's called it's called like a global skunk project. And, uh, but now the skunks actually create like gas leaks now when they, <laughs> when they spray. So what, like,
2: what I found when I did my research is that like, when they're not in the mating season, they do that normal traditional skunk smell that we all know. But then during the mating season, they let go, they let out this skunk smell that's so rancid. It smells like burned popcorn, like slash natural gas, slash a gas leak. And it's super pungent. And spray that when they want to, like, during mating season, which is apparently right now in February. So Mm. anyway, so it had sprayed and uh, it smelled so bad that the next day I had a splitting headache. I felt like puking and I felt dizzy and it was so through our entire house. And so it somehow permeated our crawl space and then was seeping up from the crawl space. Oh my God. It permeated every single room. And so we had to open up all That's the windows.
0: That's awful. That so sucks.
2: And then <laughs> like, we're looking for remedies, so it's like white vinegar. So if you ever have a skunk uh, spray in your house or spray your pet or something and that it smells, you put bowls we got a bunch of plastic bowls bowls of white vinegar in every room so we have like bowls of white vinegar in every room and then we had an air purifier that we had actually gotten for the pandemic that we put on full blast and then open the windows but it still smells but it got a lot better so i can actually sit in the house and feel okay but on saturday i felt literally ill in my own house which was really a disappointing feeling and i was just worried that it wasn't going to go away but it has dissipated a little bit so i'm just basically praying that it continues to dissipate otherwise we'll have to have someone come into our crawl space and do like a forced air out airing out of the of the crawl space because it was it's like really pungent like and our neighbors smelled it our neighbors actually texted us and we're like yeah we smelled that and we woke up in the middle of the night like it's such a bad smell that it wakes you up <laughs> oh and just, like a you're like <laughs>
0: oh <laughs> like... that's awful yeah dun, dun, so
2: dun, it was, that was just like Skunky. that was just really annoying and also it like changes you psychologically like my partner and I were both really um like agitated and I looked it up and it said like skunk, skunk smell like l- like lets out these gases and stuff or, or something what I don't know exactly what substance it is and it can make you nauseous, headachey, dizzy, and then agitated. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess that's not nuts. Like, I'm not thinking. Because I kept to- I thought I was, like, losing it. I was just like, what? We
0: need to plug these skunks into the metaverse so that they mate in virtual reality. Because this oh. is just unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> Skunk hub in the metaverse for the skunks.
2: I mean, I have- don't think, like like, I like skunks still. Like, I think they're still cute. Oh, like, and I knew it was a skunk. Sorry, this was a funny part of it, too. Like, so we thought it was the gas leak for so long, and that's why we called the fire department. So, like, one minute before the fire department showed up, I was looking out our front door, and I see the skunk. So I saw the skunk. Is a striped skunk. Damn. And then, and then the skunk actually looked up at me, because it was on the side of the house, and I was, like, right by the front stoop, and it went like this, like... <laughs> And kept going, but I, I have it on video. Like the skunk, like literally like looks at me, like acknowledges me. And then like, Is <laughs> skunks, like,
0: like, sorry for stinking up your whole house. Yeah. Skunk's got it, a skunk.
2: But yeah, that was kind of crazy. Um,
0: Damn. Now, I'm, I'm glad that's better.
2: It's just funny, but it was like, I went into survival mode on the Saturday when it like the whole house smelled. It was like, it was like on unliv- it was like <clears throat> unlivable. Uh, Sylvie had
0: her gas mask on. You were like making bullets with your gas mask on.
1: <laughs> Got to prepare. Situation. Yeah.
0: <laughs> You're
1: but like no, not today. Your new so world weird.
0: order. Jack. It also, oh, is skunk. that we
2: watched White Noise. Yeah. And have you seen that yet?
0: I haven't seen it yet, but I have a clip from the movie to show you for the next Yeah. Okay. Fest. Yeah. For, um,
2: for this one right
0: yeah we got like a minute and a half left do you want me to play a video for you really quick yeah and then we can just so i'll just let this video go and then i'll send you a new link and don't worry stay tuned everyone we're just getting we're just getting warmed up over here all right boomer raven do 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 do, do. all right this is a scene from white noise everyone this is fucking insane and then we'll talk about it in the next yak fest
2: to rain all over me it's not your fault, but you'll perhaps be writing it for two and a half minutes.
1: How long were you we out there? Did he say two and a half minutes? <sighs> uh, is that considered long or short? Anything that puts you to skin and orifice contact with the actual missions means we have a situation so it's neither the whole new generation of toxic waste. State of the art, <laughs> the one part per million can send a rat into a permanent state. What about the people in the car? I had to open the door to get out and get back in. I say their situation is the minimal risk. It's the two and a half minutes standing right in it, which makes me wince. What, what does SimuVac stand for? It's short for simulated evacuation. A new state program they're battling over funds for. This evacuation isn't simulated. It's real. Well, we knew that, but we thought we could use it as a model. Are you saying you saw the chance to use the, the real event in order to rehearse the simulation? We took totally like to right to the streets. How's it going? The insertion curve isn't as smooth as we would like. You know we don't have our victims laid out where we want them if this was an actual simulation. We have to make allowances for the fact that everything we see tonight is real. What about the computers? Is that real data you're running through the system or is it just practice stuff? You watch.
2: All right,
0: everybody, we're back. We just talked off mic for a second and Dr. Sylvie had the wherewithal to be like, hey, you I want to hit record. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. That's right. We are recording this. So um, yeah, I'm glad we got to show that little clip of the video. Dr. Sylvie was telling me that you had actually, you had just watched this film a couple of nights ago and you were so struck by that exact scene where they talk about doing the simulation of the real life event as practice for the real life event or using the real life event as a simulation, playing with that whole fucking shit. And again, this is, I'm going to let you speak on this for a little bit, but this is, the movie is about a global toxic, air, no, a toxic airborne event as a result of a train derailment. Right. And they literally have like a fire explosion in the movie, which is the exact thing that they chose to do in real life in East Palestine. So, yeah. I mean, fuck, go for it. Like, where do you even want to start on this? This is... Oh,
2: this. Movie. Well, first off, it's based on a novel, a postmodern novel that was written in, I believe, 1985. So, like, postmodern novels, anywhere, kind of messed up, right? Because they're just all about like destroying meta narratives and parody or absurdism and like surrealist elements and just like kind of exposing consumer culture and stuff so in some ways the film is very like brilliant it's also super dark it, it. I mean everything is exposing how like you know the banality of you know certain things we we use like stupid things in our day-to-day life like since consumerism to keep us from uh, confronting our fear of death and like everything, like they developed this drug called Dilar that people can get off market, but that isn't market. That isn't an actual pharmaceutical drug, but it's like off market called Dilar. And when you take it, it's supposed to help ease your fear of death. And then like the protagonist, the protagonist wife gets addicted to it and stuff. And then like starts like, prostituting herself basically to get the dialer anyway like that's a whole thread too so like and the other thing is that the protagonist is started like it's just it's like it's it's postmodern like it's it's definitely like 80s and it's definitely postmodern and it's got a bunch of themes and it, and it is really it is really brilliant in a lot of ways like the critique of you know consumer culture and like the super like the aesthetics are postmodern like it's this super bright. There's all these supermarket scenes where people are in the supermarket and it's all about like the flashiness of the um, it's a very like Andy Warhol mixed with like 80s, bright color. Anyway, so that's the good part. though. OK, of it really right?
0: quick too. what's weird about the whole fact that it's it was the book is by Don DeLillo written in the 80s and it's a postmodern book. Postmodernism in the 80s, you're talking about a lot of CIA involvement there. Like, that's just a fact a lot of the postmodern movement was pushed by the intelligence agencies as a way to create moral relativism, as a way to co-opt the left, which was brilliantly done. Wait, what? Came-
2: I don't know any of this. Oh, my God. Tell me about this.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll do a whole segment on it another time to like really Wait. do it justice. But the postmodern movement was pushed covertly by the CIA and the other intelligence agencies as a way to corrode the moral fabric of our society. Because, you know, William Casey, I think it was 1985 or 87 that William Casey, the old CIA director, said, we'll know our disinformation campaign is complete when everything the American people believe is false. Postmodernism was a means of achieving that ends, corroding the, you know, say what you will. I myself am not a religious person. And, you know, I, I don't institutional religion, to quote Chris Hedges, is inherently demonic. But Christianity has some pretty solid values. Love one another. Uh, forgive you know people be, be don't kill people don't murder people like that type of shit and uh so as a way of like if you want to um if you if, if you're doing like a, a prolonged uh, psychological war which is what um behold a pale horse was about the silent war of the future yes. against the american people to keep the people uh, yes. in a permanent state of dependency and weakness yes. you have to corrode these traditional values yes. and the postmodern movement was a brilliant way of doing that shit and so oh, this oh, is
1: whoa. Whoa, whoa. okay keep going
0: <laughs> well, I, I, like I said, I kind of want to do a whole nother segment on this to really do it justice. Cause right now I do want to stay focused on, on the white noise, but I just was struck okay, by that when you crazy were
2: crazy to me because like, I like was in this academic bubble for so long and the academics just like worship these like postmodern authors. Right. And think that they're like so edgy and cool. And this whole other, what you're telling me about, I had no idea. And I didn't even put two to do two and two together at all. Like, I've done that for other things, but not for, like, a postmodern author. I'm thinking about that, like, being done in, like, a box and just, like, the person just sitting there. you know what I'm saying? Like, that is bizarre to me. And wow, I just, like, my mind is blown because after the film, Gabe and I were like, oops, okay, whatever. Now you know his name. Um, (laughs) Okay. We were just, like,
1: uh, we
2: were, like, (laughs) we feel so awful afterwards. We felt, um, we felt rejected and we felt like society is going to shit and we felt awful like about everything because it's just so it's so cynical okay so like I don't like super cynical stuff anymore you know And, like, there's this point in your, like, 20s, I feel like, that everyone goes through where they're, like, especially if you're, like, in the humanities or the arts or something where you're, like, everything that's, like, really cynical and, like, super edgy and just shock value is just, like, so cool. And I'm so hipster and so cool for liking all this stuff.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: there's just like this, I don't know. I I mean, at least I went through that and I saw that a lot in like graduate school as well. But like, this is just so cynical. The entire thing is so cynical and it just makes you feel like crap when you finish the film. Like you don't finish the film feeling good at, or even like hopeful that it can be like fixed. It's also like a dead end thing, right? Like it's not... Like, I'm fine with, I like a critique that gives you like something productive to do to make that situation better, or like a critique that's like, yeah, but there's hope in this counter-revolution or there's hope in this alternative community, or like it's, there's, you have to have some redemption, right, that, I mean, that's an interesting thing, like that's a Christian thing, but like, if you're looking at meta-narratives, the meta-narrative I like is when there's a, there is a hope, a potential for redemption at the end, right, if there's a bleak situation, it doesn't have to end, like 100% you know roses at the end but there has to be okay bleak situation hope for redemption a redemptive quality some way to, to change the situation and if you don't have that then it's a dead end and then you go into cynicism and then you have an uptick in deaths of despair among americans which is super high right now and i think we have that because we have this like we have a dead end it there is it's it's cutting off hope like also the uh like the mainstream media, mainstream narrative pushed climate change narrative, which is different. We've gone into the nuanced, like I'm a huge fan of the environment. I don't want to pollute it. But the main, this is different from the mainstream narrative being pushed about climate change that narrative makes people want to stop procreating and not not actually even build a future because they're basically being told there is no future the future will be uninhabitable, um and there's a doomsday clock ticking that's another example where you have cynicism and there's no hope if there's no future there's no hope right and so Honestly, this is the most twisted, messed up thing that's that's eating away at people psychologically. And there's like now uh, eco-counselors for, eco, for people to manage their eco-grief because that's being pushed down everyone's throat. Meanwhile, in like underdeveloped countries or third, what we call third world countries, people are not thinking about that stuff, right? Like they're just trying to find, like get like food on their table and survive. Yeah. Like here we have people like the feds, the feds, are the ones that are funding these eco grief counselors.
0: Fuck.
2: Yeah, I think that it's really that like that, that's you can like internet search that and find that very easily. But anyway, the cynicism, the overall cynicism of this film, the lack of redemption, the lack of an alternative makes you just feel like crap, right? It makes you feel like escaping. It makes you, if you're someone who likes to use, you know, like alcohol to escape your feelings, it makes you want to drink. It makes you want to escape into something else, escape into an alternative reality, because it makes it seem like, wow, this is reflective. This is criticism of contemporary society. So what's what's good? So nothing- and
0: you're, you're all you're just right now. You're just talking about your reaction to the film and how the film made you made you feel. And we haven't even fucking gotten into the fact that, the <laughs> yes. There's this whole motif about simulation as reality, reality as simulation, and that the extras, and you probably know a little bit more about this than I do, but the extras, That were starred in. First off, the White Noise film was so the book was all the way from the '80s, but the movie was made, I believe, in 2022, and then it was on uh, Netflix for like a few months. And then, like two weeks before the East Palestine train derailment, it was like being pushed on Netflix as like suggested viewing, suggested viewing. Yeah, I didn't know
2: about that, but I. But yeah, keep going.
0: Then there were extras in the filming of the movie in East Palestine, like people who actually are now going through this crisis in East Palestine starred as extras in the film in which there was the train derailment that resulted in the airborne toxic event. And then the choice to create an airborne toxic event. They didn't have to do that. They decided to do that. They did like the, a series of decisions, all of which made the situation worse and longer greater impact going to take a longer time to clean up and they just every decision made the situation worse the derailment happened on the third no one even heard about it including uh, independent media until like the 10th or the 11th or 12th even so there was like 10 days there where and they were just letting the chemicals seep into the groundwater during that whole 10 days or maybe not the whole 10 days but there was like for the first like amount of time allowed to seep into the groundwater and then they decided to blow it up Creating the toxic airborne events. That was like the decision of the authorities to do that. So yeah. anyway, your reaction.
2: Yeah. So yeah, I was just talking about the overall feeling and mood and how it made me feel and just the whole narrative, like the the plot and just what 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 is annoying about postmodernism because we do take comfort in meta-narratives. So postmodernism is about destroying meta meta-narrative. so that's just interesting anyway i mean i enjoy some postmodern art and some postmodern music and stuff but yeah anyway um the middle part of the movie so the movie isn't all about the fallout but this is a good chunk of it and it's just it's crazy it's a black billowing cloud a black plume of, of smoke it's the same Um, phrasing that the media used when they spoke about the train derailment and then they did chose to blow it up. And it's like the same thing. Um, I guess this was a derailment. And then in the movie, it was like a distracted um, semi truck driver who hit it. And that's that. I mean, then it caused a derailment. Um, So it's a little different that way. But um, the whole simulation, that whole conversation is just bizarre and then they make the the people from the town like leave and like quarantine but then they end up back in the houses too and then they don't talk about it like ever again as if it's like a nothing burger which is so strange um but it's it's just the reason the wife started taking the Dilar it's like it's like they say she's been acting strangely ever since the airborne toxic event and it's like uh. he starts taking that medication that like helps her with her fear of death or whatever but he says that like the main character the protagonist uh, Adam Driver is like he says oh I'm actually slowly dying because i got exposed to this and so he's like coming to terms also with his death so it's also about like it's death it's dark but it's like it's so messed up because the quarant the quarantine is really messed up and then and then oh here's the other thing they're not the media is not covering them so in when they're in this quarantine camp one of the townspeople is like this is bullshit we and he holds up a tv and he's like we should be on the tv he's like the media lives on like you know like like lives for these types of situations where people are despairing and our desperate situations why isn't the media covering this
0: whoa
2: right it's so i know it's like And when people just say like, okay, first off, yeah, this film, this, this move, this novel is from 1985. So what made them decide to make a movie about it now in 2022? Okay, like, why now, right? Right. Because everyone says coincidence, coincidence, blah, 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 blah. Netflix, Like cancels things all the time. Netflix is like partially funded by like foreign adversaries, Mm -hmm. and like Netflix the and by
0: domestic intelligence agencies too. Let's not let's be real. I mean,
2: right? Yeah. Like yeah. Like all of the military films too. Yeah. Yeah. like so like netflix like they made like this wasn't just like oh you know the director just make a film like we don't care it's like this is like very intentional making this film so why out of 85 you pull it out all of a sudden and then yeah and then the two things that are extremely coincidental if you just want to say that oh it's just random is the pushing of the white noise film one and then two um the the biometric
0: oh my god oh my god <laughs> all right
2: okay do you want to share that um article
0: yeah sure fuck this is i don't need it just leaves you it leaves you kind of speechless it really does yeah. so we're going to be talking about the my id thing do you want me to just read some of the article really quick or
2: yeah i um, think do you want was me to just... like part there's like a bit yeah maybe read yeah read part of it the gateway pundit one
0: Okay. All right, cool. Um, All right, everyone. Hang on just a sec. Let me share the screen here. I'm going to read a little bit of this article and then we're going to talk about it. So local farmer sounds the alarm. Why did East Palestine launch my ID emergency service to surveil biometrics one week before Ohio train derailment? Oh, just a coincidence, Dr. Sylvie. It's just a coincidence. It's like, again, when all the coincidences always kind of seem to go in the same direction. Also, the mathematical impossibility of all of this happening, the fact that there was white noise was made, white noise was pushed on Netflix. There's a a toxic uh, airborne event in white noise in the same town where there's extras who started in the film.
2: were filmed where people from East Palestine were extras in the film itself. And then, on top of all that, they have
0: fucking, they decide to do this My ID fucking wearable biometric shit in East Palestine. The man who lives nine miles away from where the Norfolk Southern train carrying toxic chemicals derailed in Eastern Ohio reached out to the Gateway pundit to sound the alarm on the bizarre coincidences that continue to pile up surrounding the incident. Bob Moore, a 70 year old farmer and longtime resident of East Palestine, initially ignored local news reports urging residents to sign up for My ID. Good man, Bob. Ignore that shit, that's the move. (laughs) To receive a new biometric tracking device that provides first responders updates about an individual's health conditions amid an emergency or major disaster. Why in East Palestine? Why would they choose this little tiny town in the middle of fucking nowhere in the first place? And then also really quick Doctor Sylvie, I've been, and this kind of, it's a little bit alarming. There's billboards all over Phoenix that constantly they're, they're like emergency preparedness billboards that are popping. No up
2: way. Program.
0: Yes. And it's like it, it, there, there's things like if you can plan a wedding, you can plan for a major disaster. And then it's like that takes you to a Fed site where it's like plan for a disaster type shit. So I'm what? like, yeah, it's a little bit unnerving because like anyway. you're
2: thinking, OK, because they like they reveal to you what they're going to do before they do it.
0: Yeah, a little bit. uh, Yeah, it's uh, narrative seeding, predictive programming, and then after the fact, revelation of the method. I don't want a major disaster to happen where I live. So I'm just praying that that doesn't fucking happen, that it's just part of like a a more general fear campaign to keep people constantly thinking about natural disasters because it's been shown in neuropsychology that when you imagine the, the pleasure and pain centers of the brain, they are activated almost equally through the real event and the imagination of the real event. So when you start imagining about a natural disaster, your brain's biochemistry is is actually mimicking the motions of, of actually being in a real disaster. So I just I, I can't. I've been dealing with a lot in my life right now, and I don't want a fucking major disaster. Right now. So, and that there was already the semi truck that overturned in Tucson right down the highway on I-10 that was leaking nitric acid. And there was a lockdown order. And I'm like, oh, fuck, that's way too close for comfort. All right, let me um, continue this article. So Bob Moore, good old Bob Moore, is ignoring the local news reports, urging residents to sign up for my ID to receive new biometric tracking device. It's so on the fucking nose. Um, that provides first responders updates about an individual health conditions amid an emergency or major disaster. But the suspicious timing of the government's distribution of this health monitoring digital ID, exactly a week before the disaster, warrants answers, Moore told TGP in an exclusive interview. Quote, it was exactly a week before the derailment happened, Moore said. The people were asked to go to the local fire department in downtown East Palestine to get that My ID. They began monitoring your physical activity, your heart rate, your respiration, anything you might be exposed to. I see this as the kind of sensor you would put on an astronaut or an athlete that you wanted to track to see how he reacts to stress or being winded, or in this instance, chemical exposure. It's a monitoring device, unquote.
2: And it's like, if you look, it says rollout is scheduled to begin November twenty twenty two, but they just happen to have them already in february or whatever january yeah
0: that's a good point too you're right yeah they, so they, they,
2: they had to build it up so that people would sign up and they'd give people you know but then they didn't like if they wanted it right at then they could have given it to them in december or something but they happened just to give it to them just one week in advance of this i mean yeah right. all of these coincidences lining up at the same time and it's not like it's not like white noise is obscure. That's Netflix. That's the number one streaming platform. Right. Right. And this like, and then the extras and then this biometric ID one week before it's like, yeah. Like what are the odds statistically of this happening? And like for everything else too, for all the COVID stuff, I don't know why people like, that's what I'm saying. The normalcy bias is so strong that people, It maybe it's like you don't want to accept it because to accept it, makes you have to question everything and then you just will go crazy or something. And you feel like you'll just lose, you know, I don't know, like your sanity. So you have to just accept that there's a normal explanation, a normal, a reasonable explanation for something.
0: Right. That's that. What is it? The normal, normalism bias or whatever. I think that's a very powerful tool that people want. The reality of things is so unsettling that it's, it's very tempting to just, Explain everything away, and that's the whole thing with plausible deniability. Is plausible deniability is incredibly insidious because it invites people to just like, oh, it's possible. There's, it's possible that this is just a coincidence. So therefore, you can just forget about it. You don't have to think about the ramifications of this because if you if you look at this, okay, this is the barbarian yak fest. We're gonna be real right now. We're talking real shit. If you really think about this in terms of like, this is some sort of elaborate psychological operation. What are the ramifications of that? <laughs> That's incredibly unsettling that, you know, it it, you, it begs the question of like, well, what are they trying to accomplish? And it, it all kind of has, again, it ties in with the greater, um, the, the greater uh, strategy here, which is to guide people into the digital ID, fourth industrial revolution, panopticon, subdermal surveillance.
1: Transhumanism.
0: Yeah. And the whole thing of like how you said that the movie made you feel kind of like um, dejected and a dead end. If you feel dejected and a dead end, then why not just give in to consumerism and just fuck it, whatever. The world's already corrupt and fallen. If they want to put me on central bank digital currency and surveil my thoughts with the brain chip, then, you know, whatever. So be it. I'll just plug into the meta. It's, it's a give up uh, mentality. It's the opposite of the collective action that we so desperately need right now.
2: Yeah, no, that's, that's what, I mean, I've noticed that in programming across the board, like, like HBO shows are super dark and like, you know, sometimes I like to watch them, but like, no, like I really noticed like at all the major streaming platforms, all the major, like most popular shows right now are just all like so dark, not enough levity, not enough comedy. And they all are like, are just like super cynical. Like, you know, like it used to be that the Simpsons was like the one cynical, like, you know, cartoon, right? Yeah. Includes a lot of predicting, predictive programming, like South Park. But now it's like every single show is just like uber cynical and, you know, and then the the narratives, like I said, like the the overarching narrative about climate change in the future is super cynical. I mean, people are trying to change it, but it's still overarchingly, overarchingly cynical.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Really quick, what do you think about the whole thing that it's um, East Palestine? That seems like kind of on the nose that they would be referencing Palestine and the Palestinian plight, uh, apartheid. East Palestine, if you look at it, like, as because there's West Palestine is the part, the occupied territory. And so the east part of West Palestine is the Jordan border, the border with Jordan. And I know that that's like a very militarized border. Um, I don't know. I, I just thought that was kind of interesting, too, that they they would choose East Palestine for this whole thing uh, with well, like how, how loaded of a word that is.
2: I mean, there is a video I just watched yesterday, too, that like some woman mapped out all where all of the spills and, and ecological catastrophes have been in like the toxic spills and the, you know, different, there was also like a, a food production place in, like close to Miami that also was had a major fire too. And then like all the egg, you know, the egg distribution sites and all that stuff. Like, and it's like basically a c- circle around the entire like continental United States. And it's like very mm. disturbing and, The one thing that i think i don't i I haven't thought about like actual like uh palestine versus east palestine but the one things that the one thing that i am thinking about geographically is just the proximity to the ohio river and it contaminating that and then that is actually the ohio river ends up in mississippi right in like southern illinois kentucky area and that's very disturbing like it could have been in the middle of nebraska away from any major river system. Right, right it wasn't it was by a major river system and that those river systems supply water to a lot of people and so that's in like the mississippi river we still like have cargo go on that and stuff so that's honestly like super disturbing to me and then the other disturbing thing is that the largest concentration of Amish people are in that region and we know because we talked about on like the podcast that the Amish uh rejected the vaccine and they let COVID the first wave of it go through their community they didn't have any major deaths from it and the people got immunity, herd immunity from it, and they moved on, and they didn't—they lived their lives, and they didn't have to take any major. They don't take like major medicine, so they didn't yeah. do. Anything. They they got, and they but they rejected that, and they also lived. It's kind of like, like.
0: Sorry about the dogs in the background. <laughs> My neighbor's just having a total meltdown right now while we're recording. Is it really loud?
2: I can just hear the dogs. Can you ah, hear them? sorry
0: guys about the dogs in the background. This is just my life right now in South Phoenix. It's hectic as fuck. But I anyway.
2: Can, how many dogs Are they
0: um, there's just so many animals everywhere and no one takes care of their pets and my bad energy neighbor, the dogs all hate him because he has bad energy, like the neighborhood dog. So as soon as he goes outside, they all start barking and freaking out. And then he goes out with his dogs because he's got like, he's got like 12 pets in his little like one bedroom apartment because he's deranged psycho. So um, it's a bummer. But you know what? We we carry on here. We just make do. I apologize to listeners for the, the dog barking in the background. It'll die down eventually. It's not um, that- it's okay. All right, good. I've got the auto repress on Zoom. So hopefully it's, uh, it's worth its weight and salt right now. But yeah, so S- Dr. Sylvie, again, this is what's fucking awesome about having a PhD researcher as a partner, because you're the one that showed me that connection with the spill being in the, the heart of Amish country. If you look at the map of like where the Amish folks are distributed in the continental US, the spill East Palestine is like right in the heart of, of that country. Not only do they reject the COVID vaccine, they reject all vaccines. They reject modern medicine and the okay. rates of uh, autoimmunity and uh, allergies amongst the Amish are way lower. Now you could argue like testing. Like
2: no or... autism.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's like such a sensitive topic and stuff like that. But it's it just what the Amish people do is they show a example. They, they show a tangible example of what we talk about all the times, the parallel system they are a living breathing example and i know that the amish community is certainly not perfect obviously there's social issues that kind of stuff blah 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 but they they demonstrate that you can live outside of modern society and do quite well for yourself 100 so and that's like becoming more and more as those examples in the world are like be, they're so valuable now they're becoming more and more valuable priceless even and um if they can literally salt the earth, if they can fuck up the Amish people's ability to live off the land, then that's like a huge boon for the people that want to completely transform society. Because you want, again, with the you want people to feel hopeless. If there's an example of people that, that have managed to maintain this old school style of living, that's like, it's a little glimmer of hope. They want to put that out. They want to snuff that fire out. It's so fucking dark. I wish that I didn't have to think about this shit. I wish that this wasn't happening. I wish that the derailment wasn't in the heart of Amish country. I wish that it didn't tie into the greater narrative and the great reset and the fucking bank of international settlements agenda. It just, but it does. I just, how are you? I don't know. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's just like,
2: like too much. It's like, how do you deal with it? It's like, I mean, uh, I guess like, I don't know if they're necessarily targeting the Amish community, but they do happen to be there. So that sucks. But there's also Amish c- communities throughout the United States. Like there's a lot in Wisconsin, Illinois, like other parts of the Eastern US, Indiana, yeah. <laughs> Michigan, um, probably like some in Minnesota, I don't know. But there. I mean, there's, they're Amish everywhere and like they can't. And the other good thing, I guess, that is that like they're not using the Ohio River water. They use like their personal wells one thing that kind of got me like concerned was just like that the chemicals can seep into the ground soil and then it could get into the well. So that's, they're saying
0: that you can't use the wells, like around the spill, they're saying you can't use the wells. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And that's disturbing. I mean, the other thing is just that the EPA, like let the people back. It's just, okay. So this just makes me think, yeah, I get really depressed if I do think about this too, too much, which is just like, that they told people to go back to their homes after like, I don't know, a couple of days or a week, just like way too quickly. And the people who live there say like, they can't breathe outside and their eyes are burning and their pets. And if they keep backyard chickens or whatever, they, they're they dying. And that's even like miles, like many miles away. So that's really disturbing. It just reminds me of like Flint, Michigan. And I have mixed feelings about, you know, Michael Moore, but he does do some pretty decent Documentaries that expose real things, and usually expose corruption. And he did a good documentary, and I forgot what it's called, but it's on the Flint, Michigan water crisis, and it's like it's excellent. And like anyone who has any doubts about, you know, what the government officials did, they should watch it. Um, and so, if you think about like the Flint, Michigan water crisis, right, and that was pretty recent. And then if you think about Operation Big Buzz, which we talked about that on a podcast or on a Yak Fest. Uh, like last year operation big buzz was when in during the cold war when they weaponized mosquitoes with i believe yellow fever i think that's what it was but they weaponized mosquitoes the u.s government did and then dropped them on this huge predominantly black community in savannah georgia and like this is also a not not a hidden thing so do an internet search and search operation big buzz savannah georgia operation or big buys georgia and you'll find you have to actually do a little searching because it's not there's not tons of results but i mean mainstream media has covered it actually the interesting thing is that when they're talking about african-american vaccine hesitancy they actually brought up operation big buzz in savannah when they were doing article about georgians who didn't want to get it so that's pretty interesting but like if you think about just like operation big buzz and then all these other things bill gates weaponizing the mosquitoes in key west and you know flint michigan water crisis and i mean you know it's like these things didn't happen that long ago right Mm -hmm. and so uh and then cuz like people i don't know i don't know what this normalcy bias is where people want to think like the government is like looking out for you and like wants to save you and has your best interest in mind i don't even know why people are thinking that especially after covid and the covid you know the government's overreaction to the covid crisis uh or whatever the government's tyrannical power grab during the covid crisis yeah but right. it's just like i don't get why people aren't like questioning like why people believe the official narrative like when the officials say it's safe to return like you, you believe that like I hope people don't I know a lot of working class people don't believe the official narrative so that's good yeah um,
0: it's Stockholm syndrome in a certain kind of way and yeah. I think people are so like people are so um busy and just trying to keep food on the table and take care of their families and stuff like that that it's like overload of information for people and they just choose to basically just ignore it. And it's almost like even if they know, deep down that the government doesn't have the best interest at heart, it's this tendency to want to be governed, like it's a subconscious tendency, like the yeah. "Govern me harder daddy thing, <laughs> yeah. where you actually kind of want to be told what to do. I mean, and that's why that's how cult leaders manage to achieve their Successes is, is like they recognize the fact that there's a certain portion of society that just wants to be told what to do. And if you can abdicate your own free will to another source, some sort of authority figure, uh, that's quite seductive to people. And it's like it's an age old tactic of psychological manipulation. And uh, again, we need to realize that we're in this kind of like war of the mind. I mean, it's really true. And that the behavioral managers are extremely sophisticated and subtle. And, um, for people I mean, like us,
2: I mean, like a woman who did Laura Dodson in the UK did an entire book on this for COVID because they called it the nudge unit. We talked about that. The nudge unit in the UK its not hidden. The behavioral modification, hiring all the psychologists to like modify your behavior. I mean, even like that movie on the social net, it was, or is it there the was social a movie di- called the social network, dilemma. the social dilemma. dilemma. Which That's is nice. where people expose the techniques that they use. Like when you're scrolling on your smartphone for Facebook, they want it to mimic, you know, a casino, you know, like just all the casino techniques for gambling that get people hooked. They put those all and they're engineering those all into the social media sites and apps like TikTok, same thing, all that stuff. So it's like, you know, that is like if this is all out in the open. Like if you watch the social dilemma, if you like question how they they make these apps. And then also if you read Laura Dotson's book, I believe it's called State of Fear. I think that's the title of it. But it's all about the nudge unit and how they and how they change people's behavior in a la in almost like a lasting way, at least like in the short term lasting way with the fear porn for COVID, because again, it's like you have someone like me that doesn't have any underlying problems. We know the statistics for death for people my age. And this was my second time getting COVID. And people were like being like, Are you okay? You know, like like like, I don't know, like as if I had something horribly wrong with me. So um, it's just like that's that that is the only The only explanation for that is a propaganda campaign and psychological manipulation. That is the only explanation for that behavior and those responses.
0: Yeah. Hey, have you
2: seen on the phone and I'm talking and I'm like, hi, I'm here. And they're like, are you okay? Well, if I wasn't okay, do you think I would tell you? Probably. Yeah, I would.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, have you seen the, uh, this is a little random, but have you seen the video for the U.S. Army's psychological operations recruiting advertisement?
2: I don't, maybe I saw it a while ago, but I don't remember it.
0: Do you want to, do you want to do like 10 more minutes of YakFest? You can. Okay, I'm gonna, we're gonna end this because we it's ending in a minute anyway, and then I'll send you a new link, and then I'll show you this video, and then we can chat about it and then call it a day. Okay, cool. Alright cool, see you in a sec. See you in a sec everybody!
2: underestimating it like how much the mainstream media is infiltrated like how people who think that they're journalists are just getting given memos on the official narrative to tell the people right and then they think they're journalists because they're like digging around but they're not really right even i mean yeah there are investigative journalists like seymour hirsch which we we can talk about in next time we meet up but
1: yeah
2: um it's just it's just, yeah, I mean, like, I think we w- we way underestimate it because there are so many ways that we, moving image media is all around us. There's screens at the gas station that say, like, I remember gassing up in, you know, our old, the old, you know, college town that we lived in. And uh, there were, like, screens on the gas station. And then it was, like, public service announcements to get your vaccine while I'm trying to just get gas at the gas station. and yeah. There's like so many billboards now that are the animated billboards that are not that they're like, they're, they're, they're not just a stationary billboard. Um, And then there's our smartphones, and there's computers, and there's screens everywhere you go and airports, you know, always blasting CNN or whatever. Yeah. And
0: that's the only place yeah. you can even watch CNN anymore is at airports. It's like the only reason why CNN still exists as a network is yeah. because of airports
2: <laughs> and like in, in, in gyms. And so it's like, it's everywhere. It's not like, I always think about this, like what it was like when it was like the radio era, like the fireside chats of like FDR, that was like all they got. Yeah. It was a like fireside chat. Like they, that, And I will, so but I'll those. say this
0: in a way that is like a major weakness. Like it is kind of nice to like think back on that time of like quote, simpler times, but it was much easier for the federal government to run successful like, false flags. Yeah,
2: I agree. So totally, so then so then that's one thing is that you don't have this multiplicity of things. But then at the same time, I feel like because big tech is infiltrated by these three letter organizations, right. it's actually worse now because it's not a bunch of independent, like whatever, like the early founders of the internet, you know, it's a bicycle for your mind and all this stuff. It-, it, it Which too- of course
0: it was a DARPA program. I mean, internet, the internet was a DARPA program.
2: Yeah. So. But like, even, but like, even like other, just like early founders that weren't the DARPA right. people that like were are just like Robert Anton Wilson <clears throat> Thinking about it as like this place where you could have, you know, um, temporary autonomous zones in virtual land. The people who are the, you know, the futurist utopians and the internet virtual utopians, you know. But unfortunately, the like the main ways that people are getting information is social media. Who would have thought that like in the 80s or the 90s? Right. Because it didn't exist. Yeah. And right. then social media is infiltrated. I mean, first off the people that own it, and then, you know, the engineers. And then it's infiltrated by the three letter organizations. And then so we actually it's it's worse than I think even the fireside chats because because you have the dominant narrative, but it's coming at you from so many different directions now.
0: Right. And you right. can be
2: like, you only, you listen to the fireside chat for like 20 minutes or something, or maybe it was an hour. I don't know how long it was, half an hour, an hour, or you read a newspaper and you've got one newspaper, right? And yes, right. that's very limited. But then nowadays you can read articles. You could read articles 24 seven, right? Or you could like and- listen to the content 24 seven or watch the, the, the. Uh, news twenty four seven. Before there were like three stations on the TV, and then and
0: that's what I mean too about the sophistication of that. There's the narrative, but then there's the counter narratives too. And I think that that I'm I'm waking up more and more to seeing how that is actually kind of all part of the same agenda. You have like and I, but we're gonna end this yak fest, but I'm gonna show you a video of Elon Musk juxtaposed with Klaus Schwab. To show yes. to demonstrate exactly what that guy's all about, because what a brilliant example of a counter narrative operation with him. I mean, he is the face of the Department of Defense. He's the CEO of Neuralink. He's putting the spy satellites in space. He wants to re- create one app to rule them all, and yet he's positioned himself because he is he's he is like brilliant in certain kind of ways. And his his intuition for marketing is um, pretty impressive. And so he's positioned himself by, as you say, restoring a few accounts, some of which are quite subversive. And it's like, hey, we'll take our victories where we can get them. I'm happy that a lot of these accounts have been restored. I think it's positive, but he's fucking with their reach behind yep. the scenes. You know what I mean? So it's just that the the operation has just kind of gone underground in a certain kind of way with Elon being like the face of it. Like, oh, we've restored free speech, but all of the shadow banning and it's all just become a little more subtle and um, certainly not any better than it was before. Do you want me to go ahead and, and play that video right now for you?
2: Yeah, and th- th- then we'll just end.
0: Yeah, and then we'll we'll recap really quick about it and then end. And then uh, just before I do that, too, the one last thing I want to say about the War video is this was an official U.S. Army recruiting video, and it kind of shows that, like, the mask is off in many ways. Like, that yeah. was literally intentionally demonic. And like Emperor E, like Star Wars Emperor E, with like yeah. the bald guy with the, the you know, the the polar of the strings and the masks in the woods and like the we are everywhere and all the world's a stage. It's like they're not even masking it anymore. You know, when I was growing up, I remember the Marine commercials on Saturday morning cartoons. It was like the few, the proud, the marines. And it was like a picture of like a young strapping man with a sword, and he was like fighting a dragon. And it was like, and then he was like, I'm a Marine. It's like there was a sense of like heroism in it they've yeah. seemingly abandoned that and gone instead with like really leaning into like deceptive manipulation psychological war dirty war shit. like again what bill cooper talks about in behold a pale horse that the world the yeah. wars of the future will be silent they're like hardcore leaning into this because this is the army i mean yes this is the psyop division of the army but it's still the army the army right. is like the meat and potatoes of the military yeah. So, you know, it just is like it, it's very telling. Yeah. Um, let me pull up this. I think you might have sent me this too, Dr. Sylvie. Again, having a uh, PhD researcher partner is the best shit ever. Um, all right. Dr. Sylvie blew my mind with this one. Hang on to your butts, everybody. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the, the gentleman who we're being told is saving free speech.
1: <laughs> Nobody will be safe if not everybody is vaccinated. Are you vaccinated? If yes, I yes. Ask yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm very, very pro-vaccination. Yeah. We've, uh, it's, the science is unequivocal. Can you imagine that in 10 years when we are sitting here, we have an implant in our uh, brains, <laughs> and um, I can immediately feel, because you all will have implants. Just uh. sensors planted into our brains. Basically, I- implanted in your skull. So... Uh, but it would be flush with your skull. So you basically uh, take out a chunk of skull, replace, put the Neuralink device in there. Um, take
2: out a
0: chunk
1: of skull. You, you put the, the electrode, you insert the electrode threads very carefully into the, the brain. It doesn't change what you are doing. It changes you if you take a genetic editing. It's a fusion of the physical the digital and the biological world that's really the essence of the fourth industrial revolution a merger with Biological intelligence and machine intelligence. An effort for man to merge with machine in a healthy way. Yes. To beat machines, you basically have to merge with machines. Most likely, yes. As work is changing, is a universal basic income um, really a a, a solution to to this problem? I think, ultimately, we will have to have some kind of universal basic income. And I think some kind of a universal basic income is going to be necessary. Decarbonization of the economy. Where are they traveling? How are they traveling? What are they eating? What are they consuming on the platform? Uh, so individual carbon footprint tracker. Uh, Stay tuned, we don't have it operational yet, but this is something that we're working on. I mean, my top recommendation honestly would be just to have a carbon tax. This global reset is necessary. This
0: global reset is necessary. So yeah, so that just happened.
2: Elon Musk is not very eloquent. He, like, is such a bad public speaker, and even just, like, in low-pressure environments, like, I guess not low-pressure being on Joe Rogan, but you do talk for, like, three hours, so I think, like, maybe you'd be anxious at first and be, like, kind of jumbled in your wording, but then you'd get, like, habituated to being around him, and he also, like, makes the environment, it seem like, be a very congenial environment, so I don't Elon Musk, Oh, he's like not eloquent at all. Like he reminds me of like when I haven't gotten a lot of sleep or I'm like really stressed out or like I have like too many things on my mind and I'm trying to articulate something like, he, he always sounds like that. He's not So very- You
0: know, what's interesting, Dr. Sylvie, so I'm obsessed right now with this author, Robert Greene. He wrote the 48 laws of power, which I listened to. He read the 33 strategies of warfare, which I just finished. And now I'm reading his other book called, um, it's about the human, human nature. It's like similar. He goes to. And so he talks about that that type of speech that Elon Musk does. In fact, I even thought about Elon Musk when I listened to this part. The halting, hesitant speech, which very much describes how he speaks. It's kind of painful. That, that fucking Rogan interview was painful. I was like, I couldn't even listen to the whole thing. I'm like, this, it's a disarming tactic. It's actually a disarming tactic. So maybe he does it intentionally, maybe not. But the end result is that he's a perfect figurehead for his role as like really the Trojan horse of the subdermal surveillance.
2: Right, because he doesn't sound author. He's like not authoritative. He's not authoritative in his speech. He's not assertive. It also
0: all. is a hypno like, It's a hypnosis um, thing too. Like hypnotists will will work use that language because it keeps you on your edge of your psyche, like following each word. You kind of yeah, like, you make it's
2: it hard to follow him. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Wow. That's crazy. I never thought about that.
0: Yeah. I, I really can't. I can't overstate how nefarious Elon Musk is. And I feel like it's just I'm just beating the drum right now on this guy. Like because it's just so ironic that the same pa- patriot community that is so like woken up to the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset is often they're largely seduced by the Elon Musk mythos. And it's like that's why that video is so valuable because it right. really weds and, the two.
2: And also like the patriot community is not really into um electric vehicles, and he is the CEO of Tesla. Right? So it doesn't make any sense. And also, like, also, the Patriot community is really uh, very critical of transhumanism and biometric and surveillance and the proliferation of surveillance tracking. So that doesn't make any sense either, since that's literally what Neuralink is. And he's been talking about Neuralink for the past, like, 10 years. And he's been, like, hyping it up for a long time. Um, and he's like, it's like, it's like fauci fauci was experimenting on the like or he he didn't experiment he okayed the nih to experiment and like do those really sadistic dog experiments yeah. and like elon musk is doing that with i believe it's monkeys
0: Yep, I talked oh. about that with Mariam Hanain, like just the okay. scale of the animal suffering involved in not just vaccine safety research, but also the Neuralink project, and there's just like thousands and thousands of monkeys tortured and dying horrible deaths because they're pushing this. They are rushing this shit through. And they're yeah. they're also subtly behind the scenes they're like loosening the regulation for now you can you don't even have, you don't have to do as much testing before you can jump to humans and they're actually trying to like in some instances start treating humans without even testing on humans like the whole with the boot the bivalent boosters was tested on mice and then immediately given to humans these right. are all like very important subtle shifts of like because they know that the neural link is going to kill a lot of people they know it because it's you're think about what you're doing you're weaving electric lattices taking out chunks of skull putting skulls back but you're, this- you're making
2: people cyborgs. Like this is like the true, like you wanna, yep. you're making people cyborgic. Like people have been saying for a long time, oh, our cell phones are like an extension of our hand, but like, they're really not like, it's still a choice. They're actually just addictive. And because they're addictive, they have become an extension of our hand. But there, there's nothing about this. I, I mean, I have to touch it with my hand to move it, but so do I have to, for anything I tinker with, like a candle as well. So it's not really cyborgic. The implants, and I also think the Apple Watches because that's something that people wear in their hands all the time. And it's biometric tracker and they want you to use it to track your steps. And that's a whole other thing. Like, like where they did this thing, like we, okay, so like America is skyrocketing obesity. So just like, oh so now all these corporations are like track your steps and like not like that's going to make that much of a difference if people are just doing it to win a prize for the team that they're on in their corporation like that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard of really i think what it is is it's making people it's normalizing tracking everything about you so like the apple watches are tracking your sleep your heart rate uh, they have this like different thing for like cardiac stuff and yeah. you just like anything, your stress level. So it's like that. It, and then you, then you have it on permanently. Like, right. When people used to have just regular watches, you would take them off at night, but with a smartwatch, you keep it on during night because you want to know <clears throat> your sleep stats. Cause right. we want to quantify everything and have data on everything so that we can control fix, manage and control everything, which is meanwhile, it's creating this dystopic society. So like, like I don't, I'm not, I am like so anti smartwatch because I, you know, I don't like that at all. So um, that is yeah. the beginning of the Neuralink because you're 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 choosing to wear it on you at all time. But who knows? Oh, what if you just implant it right there, or you have the implant with the chip that they're doing with like people in Sweden randomly deciding they wanted like or like being swindled into doing that, or yeah. in, in your brain, or I guess like a really crude. Biometric sensor, it's not like crude, but like is like the pacemaker. But like that's not, I guess, like that, but like that one is not, that's like has like a sole purpose versus the Apple Watch is multifunctional. Right. And the purpose of the pacemaker is to like keep your body going. It's like a, it's almost like getting, you know, like getting like a hip replacement or something like that. But like this is like completely different with the Neuralink and anything yeah. messy your brain like like an organ is one thing right like a heart or lungs or whatever if they even had an artificial lung or something like i don't they, i mean they do have artificial lungs but like you know any of those things that's different your brain is your thoughts like the brain is the most you know that's like the most sensitive that you wouldn't want to mess with in any way yeah and so that's just that's so disturbing to me that this is normalized that people are thinking this is okay that people want to do this that this is like yeah like this isn't going to go anywhere well. Like, I no. don't, like what, where is the end point for this? This is like, this is not the future I want. Like, right. I, that's why people are yearning to do homesteading and the Amish stuff because they're just <clears throat> like, technology is not leading us into a future. Like, like, fu- like, like make a robot that can do the dishes for me. And I don't mean <laughs> right. it's a but they can do like the actual dishes for me. Like, remember yeah. when Jetsons was saying that like, we would have like robot people, Th- then you wouldn't have to have, you know, like, um. You know people who you know have like a recent immigrants clean your home you can have actually like a robot that's not a human being clean your home and like why don't we do that like why don't we focus all of our monies on that and you can sell that to people right i would rather have that than than have any of this stuff where you're like messing with people's minds or they're be like messing with your brains or just any of the any of the transhumanist stuff is so disturbing i don't want biometric sensors i don't want stuff on me i don't want any of that it's just augmenting what it is to be human and it's making us cyborgic creatures like yeah we don't want our lives to be sci-fi i don't want it and so that's why there's that yearning for like the amish thing like the, the you know the we don't need technology to live good lives like the roman empire Um, I mean, it fell, but the Roman Empire, like, it was super successful and all they had was like written record right like yep. that's all they had. and they yep. managed whole society and people lived and they had full lives right so we don't yeah. need this technology to live full good lives like people no. just live longer now but sometimes like a longer life doesn't even mean like a better quality life right and so it's just like people live longer now and there's like we have a lot of modern comforts that we've become acclimated to but like, it's not like you can't have a, like these Amish people have awesome lives and they don't have a ton of technology. So I don't like this whole technology is driving what it means to be for prog whatever progress with the capital P is, head- right. is technology, which we just give a couple people, elite elites, you know, the ability to make the decisions about where we're going as a culture and as a society. I hate that. And like yeah. actually globalization makes it worse because everyone's in lockstep with the development of these things. And then you test and the test bed is the underdeveloped nations. That's how the globalization works, right? The test beds are the underdeveloped nations or a lower class, uh, like lower socioeconomic class area like East Palestine, then we're gonna roll out the biometrics tracking there. You're not gonna roll it out in the upper middle class area where people would get upset about it. Yeah. It's, anyway, sorry, that was like a major rant.
0: But. No, that was great. The people need their Sylvie rants.
2: I, uh, we got to bring this
0: YAKFest to a close. I wanted to end on something kind of like a little bit more light and positive. Um, okay, but good. did you did you still want to watch the White Nose trailer or do you want to skip the White Nose trailer?
2: I think Just we can the... skip that for now.
0: Yeah, let's skip that for now. Maybe we'll play it another time. I want to end on something positive because this has been kind of a heavy YAKFest. <laughs> so, um, we weren't going to talk about this and stuff like that. And I've talked about in previous podcasts I've had, I've just been dealing with a lot of grief, a lot of death in my life and stuff like that. And thinking about mortality and all that kind of stuff. And in a way it's, it is kind of like liberating because you think you, you find yourself thinking about like the importance of really like appreciating each moment and being fully present in each moment. And so I want to show you this video of, you know, I've been thinking about my own mortality and stuff and how one day I will unfurl from my mortal coil. And I do believe in the eternal, the the immortality and eternal nature of the soul. And I do believe my soul will will, um, pass on and uh, continue on like bigger and better things, different realms become a light being, all that kind of stuff. And so I want to play this scene. This is from the Blues Brothers and it's the church scene. And James Brown is the pastor in the church. And this is the kind of vibe that I want when in my celebration of life. <laughs> so here we go. I have not
1: seen you, by the way. Oh, six, seven, three, oh, seven. And now, people, and and now, people, when I woke up this morning, I heard a disturbing sound. I said when I woke up this morning, I heard a disturbing sound. What I heard was a (laughs) jingle-jangle of a thousand lost souls. Talk about the soul of all men and women Departed from this life Wait a minute Those lost, angry souls Roaming unseen over the earth Seeking the divine life They're not find. Because it's too late Too late, yeah Too late for them to ever see again The life they once chose not to follow be lost when the time comes. For the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, well, I want James Brown at my funeral.
1: Let us go. And we're here for the fights.
0: to play the whole scene but yeah I just uh that always made so much more sense to me like when you're coming together in a place of like uh, a sacred place to like celebrate yeah. the divine why not be like joyful like actually right. for real joyful and if you're not actually feeling joy in your heart maybe like look at that like look in the mirror before you start trying to tell other people how to live like you know if you're not like there's just something about that I find so like uplifting and with these I times like
2: yeah, I like love gospel music and I love and i think i'm like a little more uh favorable to like organized religion than you are maybe but um i i love gospel music and that just makes me like i love black qu- gospel choirs they just i mean remember sister act yes. like <laughs> that was just such a joyful like happy movie we don't yeah. have any of those joyful, happy movies in nowadays. I just, No, we
0: were talking about it off camera about how like so much of the new shows and the new movies and stuff, they don't have nearly enough levity and humor and it's all really dark and like cynical. And it's just like important to like, if you need to go back and like watch old movies, you know, like go, yeah, go 19- back in time, independent media, create your own content. But I just think it's important to like, it's important to keep, in mind like the fucking joy of life and the the joy de vivre and the fact that we only have one shot at this and it is fucking insane life is fucking crazy but at the same time it's like we're all gonna have to go sometime and you know it's like I just think it's really important to always come back to that like what what gives us like that little spark of life and happiness within us and and just focus on that
2: yeah I love that yay
0: all right. Cool. So with that, everybody, uh, we are going to bid you all adieu until our next Yak Fest. I think we're going to probably be pretty uh, more consistent on Yak Fest moving forward. It's been a yeah. wild and crazy couple months for both Sylvie and myself. Right. So we're going to try to come back to uh, every other week Yak Fest. And we love all you listeners. If you're a new listener, welcome. Uh, we're just getting started over here. So we got lots of good things uh, in the works. And uh, we wish you all A fantastic couple weeks. Be good to one another. Be good to yourself.
2: Bye, everyone.
0: Peace.
1: Peace. Now look at here. Once I.
0: friends, beloved listeners, we've cleaved, we've heaved, we've larked, we've barked, we've inched, we've pinched, we've grumped, and we've lumped. And we found our way to the end of the episode. It's my final my final sec- uh, segment before departing for Guatemala City. And so for the outro reading today, I want to read this article. Uh, I found it on thewire.in, Rene Otto Castillo, the Guatemalan poet who took on the CIA. A popular anti-war chant that often greeted President Lyndon Johnson in many U.S. cities at the peak of the Vietnam War was, Hey, hey, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today? To which Lyndon Baines Johnson said, I killed as many as needed to be killed. Because LBJ was a total asshole. But that's my editorial. Continuing with, with the article. He, he was, though. I'm reading... Um, these books I'm reading about human nature, they, they talk a lot about Lyndon Baines Johnson and how like, strategic he was in his quest for power. So when Alan Dulles came up to him and was like, hey, uh, I bet you'd like to be president, huh? He's like, I've always wanted to be president. It's like, yeah, that other, that little Kennedy is in the way, isn't he? He's like, yeah, yeah, do what you need to do, kid. <laughs> um, all right. The Johnson administration had lost count by then, of course, but the dead were mounting in another theater of war as well, Central America, more specifically Guatemala, though being non-American dead, these remained largely off-limits for the liberal American imagination. Successive U.S. presidents had Guatemalan blood on their hands, Democrats no less than GOP warriors, John Kennedy as much as Ronald Reagan. The Johnson era CIA had the back of the brutal Julio Montenegro regime that presided over the murder of countless Guatemalans including a poet who was not 31 who is not yet 31 Otto René Castillo had some months previously abandoned his original role of chief propaganda and education of the Guatemalan FAR rebel armed forces and had plunged into guerrilla war himself, operating in the Sierra de las Minas Mountains. There, he was picked up by the Guatemalan Armed Forces Special Battalion on March 19, 1967, brought to the army barracks in Zapaca, tortured endlessly for four days and nights, and then burnt alive, probably on march twenty three. Good god, that's horrific. In British India, Bhagat Singh and his comrades, Guru and Shrikdev, had been hanged on the same day thirty six years ago. Like Bhagat Singh, Castillo also had no illusions about what waited him and what awaited him in the end. In Let's Go Country, he had made that quite plain. Now this is a poem by Uh, Rene Otto Castillo. Let's go country, I will go with you. I will descend the depths you claim for me. I will drink of your bitter chalices. I will remain blind that you may see. I will remain voiceless that you may sing. I will die that you may live. So your flaming face appears in every flower born of my bones. That is the way it must be, unquestionably. Now I am tired of carrying your tears with me. Now I want to walk with you in lightning step, go with you on your journey, because I am a man of the people, born in October, to confront the world. The poet, of course, knew that he had to make his voice heard as long as he lived, so that the path doesn't cry for me, so I don't bleed through the words. I sing, for your face, for your face, the soul's frontier born in my hands, I sing. To say you have grown transparent in the bitter bones of my voice, I sing. Born to middle-class parents in April of 1936, Castillo had been politically awakened early on. His adolescent years coincided with Guatemala's brief democratic interregnum uh, 1944-1954, to the Ten Years of Spring, in a country which was laid waste by repression, terror, and grinding poverty for most of its colonized and even post-colonial existence. The change was brought about by the liberal upsurge that unseated the director-general Jorge Ubico in June of 1944. A military junta led by Juan Federica Ponce Vides took the dictator's place briefly, but when it sought to broadly continue the same oppressive regime, it was swiftly swept away by an uprising led by another army officer, Jacobo Arbenz, on October 20, 1944. Guatemala then had its first open democratic elections where a liberal university professor, Juan Olivello, was elected president. A period of limited but positive reforms, mainly in the areas of political freedom and the spread of literacy, followed. There was also some land reform as well. Oh, I guess they're going to get to the land reform, because that's what got the attention of the CIA, which was really just acting on behalf of its homies, the United Fruit Company. Just basically the military, the unaccounted military arm of the major corporations of the US, just like it is today. So, while at school, Castillo was elected president of the Students' Union and he joined the Workers' Party of Guatemala at age 17. In 1954, however, the Guatemalan Spring was abruptly ended as an army junta led by Carlos Armas, mentored, trained, and financed by the CIA, overthrew the democratically elected Arbenz government. Arbenz had incurred the wrath of the U.S. administration by the wide-ranging agrarian reforms it had instituted. That's what I'm talking about. In the process, seriously antagonizing the powerful U.S. multinational United Fruit Company, whose stranglehold over the Guatemalan economy was the stuff of legend. President Eisenhower, boo! was convinced that the tiny Central American country, about one hundredth the size of the USA, was marching decisively towards communism. God, Eisenhower was such a turd. I can't stand people that friggin' romanticize that guy. Like, and now I have to warn the American people, the military-industrial complex that I have spent the last eight years building with complete abandoned libidinous conviction is now poised to take over the direction of the country. And so that people don't blame it on me and my little pinhead, my pinhead, I'm going to give this fucking lecture on my way out the door when I no longer have any power. It's like, thanks, fucking President Eisenhower. All right, continuing with the article here. The CIA's was a no-holds-barred campaign. Unmarked airplanes kept bombing the country's capital off and on, and a mercenary force, armed to the teeth with sophisticated weapons, kept assaulting the small standing army, even as fake Guatemalan radio stations, all based out of the U.S., blared student and false anti-Arbenz propaganda 24-7, demoralizing the citizens progressively but when they made the second amendment they were talking about muskets and now there's assault rifles and that's why we need to ban the assault rifles because when there's coup d'etats then the rebels get sophisticated weaponry and we fucking wear pussy hats and march around and that's going to work out really well for us (laughs) all right continuing here Economic sanctions added to the country's woes, and finally, in June of 1954, Arbenz decided that it was not worth Guatemala's while resisting, uh, I I don't know, that sentence was fucked up, guys, sorry, I don't know what to tell you, um, that it was not worth sacrificing Guatemala, I guess, uh, in order to resist the giant of the north to avoid a bloodbath he resigned and the american puppet armas was installed in his place amid wild celebrations in washington uh, dc cia director alan dulles who said the coup was a victory of democracy over communism guatemala's long dark night had returned the reign of terror that followed forced many political dissidents out of guatemala Castillo, all of 18 years old, sought refuge in neighboring El Salvador, where he had a very hard time earning a living, variously as a laborer, a salesman, and a clerk. He also joined a law program at the University of San Salvador, where he soon made his mark as a poet, organizing a vibrant literary circle around which many gifted left-leaning students rallied. He made friends with many prominent student activists and intellectuals, including the young poet Roque Dalton, joined, and alongside the young poet Roque Dalton, joined the El Salvador Communist Party. Sorry, this is written pretty shittily, and so I have to, like, edit it in real time as I'm talking, so we do it live, only it's not live, because I'm going to record it and mildly edit it. You know, you know what I'm saying. (laughs) So the young Guatemalan had found his bearings in a world where exploitation, tyranny, and unfreedoms of all kinds devastated human lives daily. He would stay true to his dream of an open, free, equal society for the rest of his life. His reputation as a poet grew steadily. And it talks about his reputation as a poet growing. He was an outstanding student and won a university scholarship in 1959, which secured him entry to the Leipzig University in what was then the German Democratic Republic. Um, He married while in the GDR and had two children. It was a fulfilling life, but his heart ached for Guatemala, his very own Guatemala, as witnessed that memorable poem, In the Waters of the Elba, which begins on a note of calm contemplations of a lovely autumn's day by the river. It's a blue afternoon beside the Elba, in the autumnest autumn of them all. I'm going to start over because that's really beautiful. It's a blue afternoon beside the Elba, in the autumnest autumn of them all. Under my feet the leaves, so much height, and so much sky in them still. Above me the trees, in the space left by the leaves, now taken by the wind. But sadness assails him swiftly, and also a sense of loneliness, which is not any less overpowering for being somewhat vague. Continuing with his poem. A boat crosses the water, and from its heavy length of smoke, one knows the sailors too are sad. One's country turns kind and sweet if one begins the remembering, adding the truth of being alone to the truth of being away. But in a musty café where night does not arrive, one reads, The suffering continues, the same as always, And one understands that a country is bitter If it's a prison where man arrives only to sadden the landscape. It's autumn's afternoon beside the Elba, And at the edge of the day begins the night. One understands, then, that all who walk Carry the end of their journey on their brow and i get up not from the bench beside the water's dark face in whose eyes this afternoon i saw in sadness i get up i say from my own soul where you are always country of deer and moons and you will never burn out if anywhere exists the small tenderness of a blood that raises its arms in search of your soul mother my land god damn that's gorgeous so, in 1964, as Guatemala seemed to enter another brief interregnum of peace, Castillo returned once again to his homeland. He soon became active in the Workers' Party, founded the Experimental Theater of the Capital City Municipality, where new dramatic idioms were explored for giving voice to the country's marginalized indigenous populations. The political tide turned once again, however, and Castillo was arrested for unlawful activities. He fled to Europe again, traveled around restlessly, always straining at the leash of his forced exile from the country whose call he seldom stopped hearing, loud and insistent. Meanwhile in 1966, the Revolutionary Party, a political formation of liberal reform, managed to win the national elections, promising the restoration of democracy and the rule of law. Encouraged by this development, the young poet hurried back home to Guatemala and was put in charge of the Workers' Party Propaganda and Education Wing. It did not take long, though, for the hope for a humane future for Guatemala to be dashed. True to hallowed U.S. tradition, President Johnson felt called upon to, quote, save Guatemala from communist barbarism. I love that. I love it so much. Communist barbarism. (laughs) That's it. That's, That's the barbarian noetics podcast for you, for sure. But what do you mean? You're saying that Mao is going to take the guns? No, I'm saying I want free dental, and I would give up my guns for free dental. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) So the U.S. uh, dramatically expanded its military mission. American military advisors descended on Guatemala in their droves. The country's relatively small army was modernized and... Uh, trained in extensive counterinsurgency operations, left wing resistors were arrested, tortured, killed, or disappeared at will, and all dissidents were snuffed out. An all out campaign against leftist pro democracy guerrilla forces such as the FAR was unleashed. Realizing that all legal means of resistance were out of bounds for him, Otto Rene Castillo embraced the only option left fight to the death against tyranny and injustice. It is often said that, for Castillo, poetry came second to his communist activism, that he was bent on fighting the system rather than using his pen to critique it. Castillo himself came close to saying something like that not infrequently. The point, however, is this. Castillo, in the original Marxist tradition of the unity of thought and praxis, sought to be the whole man, nothing more, nothing less. For him, poetry did not begin where he laid down his rifle, Both were intermeshed in his life like air and water. In the context of life in Guatemala, he did not, indeed he could not, opt for one or the other. He was capable of sublime passion, searing anger, supreme tenderness, and monumental disdain all at the same time. Let his own lines tell the unforgettable story of the life of this great poet. This is a poem, Last Words, by Rene Otto Castillo. And this is how we're going to go ahead and end this episode, everyone. So I love you all. Thanks for, thank you for supporting the show for real. And I'll see you when I get back. I'm so excited. All right. So here we go. This poem, Last Words by Rene Otto Castillo, the Guatemalan poet who took on the CIA. It's six o'clock in the evening on the last day of the bitterest August of my life. And yet I write these wounded lines to say goodbye to you. Loneliness surrounds me still with all its weapons. But it does not matter, for I am still left with a little moon in the blind ocean of the night that begins when the winds of dawn blow in your face. God damn, that's fucking gorgeous. We gotta, I gotta bring that back. It's six o'clock in the evening on the last day of the bitterest August of my life, and yet I write these wounded lines to say goodbye to you. Loneliness surrounds me still with all its weapons, but it does not matter for I am still left with a little moon in the blind ocean of the night that begins when the winds of dawn blow in your face. And this is his poem, Our Voice. From the sea's arm to the arm of the wind, they look for me to break the tolerance of dusk in my mouth. The sacrifice of being man accompanies me, keeps me from going down to the place where treason's born, where the fool chained his heart to the shadow, denying you. Before the scales, tomorrow. And when the enthusiastic story of our time is told, for those who are not yet to be born, but who announce themselves already with more generous faces, it is we who will come out ahead there, we who suffered the most from this time. And finally, Apolitical Intellectuals One day, the apolitical intellectuals of my country will be interrogated by the simplest of our people. They will be asked what they did when their nation died out slowly, like a sweet fl- fire, small and alone. What did you do when the poor suffered, when tenderness and life burnt out of them? Apolitic- political intellectuals of my sweet country, you will not be able to answer. A vulture of silence will eat your gut, your own misery will peck at your soul, and you will be mute mute in your shame. Satisfaction The most beautiful thing for those who have fought a whole life is to come home, to come to the end and say, We believed in the people and life, the life and the people never let us down. And so they are one for the people, and so the infinite example is born. Then the people open their deepest rivers, and they enter those waters forever. And so they are, distant fires, living, creating the heart of example. All right, everyone, I'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Take really good care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Be good to one another. Be compassionate and kind to yourself. Treat yourself like you would your best friend. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right, much love. Peace. I still toast, still give a
1: fuck How you feel, we some southern OGs, real recognized real. All my hustlers keep quiet and my dealers don't slip But it speaks for itself, so we ain't gotta say shit I still toast, still give a fuck How you feel, we some southern OGs, real recognized real. All my hustlers keep quiet why, and my dealers don't slip Money speaks for itself So we ain't gotta say she Mud B is the name G.K. is the click P-A-T is the city So if you hate suck a dick I'm from the land of the trio From the home of the horn. When niggas don't wait to see you To bring it you to your yard We ain't never been fraud We ain't never been lame So if you wanna get it cracking every nigga is game so we can catch a corner Or we can catch a just place in the time, I'll be waiting right there. Yeah. See, I give you a bad one and shoot you the vibe. But soon as you hit your back, my dogs'll eat you alive. Lies. All we know is survive. Bye. We ain't taking no L. So before you play with us, you better play with Say 'Cause I'm tired of the tough talk, tired of the mean mug I'm about ready to give these fuck niggas a clean slug. Got back the hammer on the goddamn steel and put a in the middle of his goddamn grill, I still toe, still give a fuck. How you feel? We some southern OGs, real recognized drill. All my hustlers keep quiet and my dealers don't slip, but it speaks for itself, so we ain't gotta say shit. I still toast, still give a fuck. How you feel? We some southern OGs, real recognized real. All my hustlers why? And my dealers don't slip Money speaks for it the So we ain't gotta say shit Talking about the carrots in my watch, watch. Diamonds in my chain Who's baddest on the block? block All my status in the game Gang. The records that I've sold i Bobby B going gold. gold And all them number yeah. one chart positions that I hold. hold The money and the wealth Yeah, yeah I'll keep it to myself no. But I'm always willing to share the Power on the shelf Girl. I'm shiny star spangling yeah. Ding-a-ling-dang Looted the sheet, smusher, broke the record of Will Chamberlain I'm College Park Rangering, Houston Tex Mangering. So get down or lay down and see these middle bangerins I'm banging in the east, west, south, all over the map, boy I do it for myself, my daughter, and all these trap boys Black boys, candy and paint, paper we stack, boy But send me automatic, so make the click, get back, boy Click! Since I was born up in the shit, and money speaks for itself, so I ain't never said she. I still, still give a fuck how you feel. We some southern OGs, real, recognized, real. All my hustlers keep quiet, and my dealers don't slip. Money speaks for itself, so we ain't gotta say she. I still, still give a fuck how you feel. We some southern OGs, real, recognized, real. All my hustlers keep why And my dealers don't slip Money speaks for itself, So we ain't got to say shit Niggas best to start running Hiding, dodging and ducking Cause them trio niggas coming Riding, cockin', and fucking Bitch you fucking with a monster A beast like no other The hardest nigga living since my motherfucking brother So duck and cover Tuck and roll in the deck We coming for money and your motherfucking respect And we ain't taking no checks Money orders the visas your life is on the line, so no not motherfucking tease us. You don't need Jesus just to hold you and help you Cause, you cause yeah. when you fuckin' with me, bitch You gon' see to skelter. That he gon' melt ya The steel gon' gut ya you. your lame-ass leakin' on linoleum Fuck ya Bitch, up. I stopped giving a damn when pimp went to the bend Peace. So not everyone's associates And nobody's friends Just make sure to get my end, And nobody gets hurt Before I put somebody's children Under motherfuckin' dirt Fuck it i Give a fuck how you feel? We Southern OGs, real recognized drill All my hustlers keep quiet and my dealers don't slip Money speaks for itself, so we ain't gotta say shit I steal, not steal, give a fuck, how you feel? We some Southern OGs, real recognized drill All my hustlers keep quiet and my dealers don't slip Money speaks for itself, so we ain't gotta say shit